Good morning, church. My name is Kendrick, and I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church. But more important than me, there's a man here named Emilio who's working on the ACs. He is much more important than that today. So if you guys are out there and you see him, just say thank you. And you guys are like, it's kind of warm in here. It was a lot hotter in here a couple hours ago. So uh, Emilio is working on that. And um, sorry, happy Father's Day. I don't know. Um, But thank you, Emilio, if you can hear us up on the roof. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you. So uh, we're going to continue our study on prayer. So if you guys got your Bibles, go ahead and open or click on Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, we're going to continue talking about prayer. Prayer is essential for disciples of Jesus. And when I talk about disciples, I'm talking about people that love God, that live like Jesus and try to help others do the same. So when I say disciples, that's what I'm talking about. And prayer is fundamental to the life of a disciple. It's fundamental for us uh, in knowing and following God. We cannot love Jesus unless we truly know who Jesus is. There's a, I forgot who said it, but I didn't come up with this. Some guy said this, and it was pretty good. He said, oftentimes we are limited in our love of God simply by our knowledge of God. So we can only love God as much as we know about God. And one of the primary ways that we come to know God is through prayer. So this is an important aspect. And last week, Pastor Tim started, and one of the most important things that he taught us, and this is one of the most important things of prayer, is that Jesus is essential to our prayers. He is essential to our prayer life. True prayer depends on a spiritual relationship with God that we get through Jesus. Right? Jesus enables us to call the Heavenly Father, Father. Jesus allows for us to call Him Dad. And when we pray, we need to be praying with Jesus. We don't do this by ourselves, but we pray with Jesus. That's why at the end of our prayers, if we think about it, sometimes we say, in Jesus' name. That we are aligned with Jesus when we pray. We want our prayers to be in accordance with His heart, with his will, and with his mission. That's why we conclude our prayers in Jesus' name. And last week, Pastor Tim, he spent a lot of time looking at the prayers of Jesus, looking at the pattern that Jesus did. And if you'll remember from last week, and I'm sure you all took notes, but I'll just refresh you in case you can't find them. But we learned that Jesus prayed often. We learned that Jesus prayed consistently, that he prayed persistently, that Jesus prayed alone, that he prayed with others, in front of others, that he was intentional with his prayers, that he prayed for God's will. He prayed for the mission of God. And as his disciples, we should pray the same way, right? We should follow Jesus' pattern of prayer. That's easier said than done. And I know that for a couple of reasons. One, I know because I try to pray like Jesus. I am a Christian. And oftentimes I don't know what to say or I'm lost for words or I'm not sure that uh, this is in the right format. And I start to freak out a little bit because I just want to say a simple prayer and I'm not really sure how to. Sometimes it happens. Right? As a pastor, what do you think one of the most common questions that I get is? How do you pray? I don't know how to pray. Can you teach me how to pray? There's a third reason that I know. There are a lot of books. I almost brought in all of the books that authors have written on how to pray. There's how to pray moms, how to pray dads, how to pray kids, how to pray for sisters, how to pray this, how to pray that. How to... There are so many books on prayer, and people buy them, so that must be a need that we have as Christians. How do we pray? 
And I shouldn't tell on pastors, but if I'm going to be honest with you, pastors don't always help you guys too much. We say something like, oh, just pray to Jesus like he's your friend. Come on, man. Like, I learned really, really, really early on in my marriage, I can't even talk to my wife like she's my friend or like my brother. She said, that doesn't work here. So there's no way I can talk to the creator of the universe like I would talk to my friend. Our prayer should not, like, start off, hey, Jerko, what are you doing today? Like, that should not be how we pray. So how do we pray? Wouldn't you love to just sit down with Jesus and have one of those questions? Jesus, I need a class on prayer. Prayer 101. Call it whatever you want. Jesus, teach me how to pray. Well, praise God. The disciples had the same question. And Jesus gave them an answer, and it's recorded in Scripture. Scripture tells us, the very first verse of chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples, thank you whoever disciple that was, said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think of all of the questions that his disciples could have asked him on what to do. Right, like, how do you walk on water? That's something I would like to know. Hey, one of the things, like, how do you preach? We know that Jesus preached with such authority that nobody has ever seen it before. Jesus, teach us how to preach. Right, Jesus, teach us those one-line zingers that you give the Pharisees and the Sadducees all the time. I want to be able to do that. Teach me that, Jesus. But that's not what they asked him. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. These disciples, they performed miracles when they were with Jesus, but their hearts yearned to pray like Jesus. Their hearts wanted to pray. And this request tells us a couple things. One, it teaches us that, hey, you're not alone if you're not comfortable in how to pray or if you have questions about how to pray. The people that walked with Jesus had that same question. The other thing that it tells us is that prayer is not natural for us. It's not something that we learn automatically or that we know how to do like breathing. But that praying, effective prayer, has to be taught and it has to be learned. Uh, Pastor uh, Tabadi Anawabi, excuse me, Anabiwe, sorry, Anabiwe is a pastor out in D.C. He wrote this. There is no shame in not knowing how to pray or feeling uncomfortable in prayer. So we can get an amen just at that sentence right there. There is no shame in not knowing how to pray or feeling uncomfortable in prayer. There is only shame if we don't ask to be taught and as a result spend years of our Christian lives ineffective in prayer. So let's look at how to pray. Let's see what Jesus teaches us how to pray. In Luke chapter 11, we see an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer. And there's discussion on if this was the same time or if this was a a separate time from the prayer in Matthew. Either way, we have a format of how Jesus prays, a pattern. And we're going to look at this prayer. You guys might know it as the Lord's Prayer. It's often called the Lord's Prayer. Not because Jesus prayed it, because there's a spot in here about confessing sins. Jesus never had to do that. But it's called the Lord's Prayer because Jesus taught it. This is the prayer that Jesus taught. Sometimes it's also referred to as the disciples' prayer. Because this is a prayer for disciples. This is a prayer that disciples are to pray. This is who it was intended for. This is what Jesus was teaching his disciples. Here's your prayer. And when we look at this prayer, we have to understand that this is a model prayer. It's a, it's a pattern prayer. In other words, Jesus gives us a sample of the way in which we should pray. Where our hearts should be directed. 
When we pray, we don't just simply memorize it and go through some of this rote ritual and just say it over and over again without knowing or thinking about what we're saying. That's not the purpose. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with praying this, word, this prayer word for word as long as we do it from a sincere and engaged heart. Right? As long as our prayer is an act of worship. Church, prayer is a form of worship. It's not some religious ritual that we just do because we're Christians. But true and effective prayer is a form of worship. So let's read together. We're going to start in chapter 2. Let's read, or excuse me, chapter 11, verse 2. And let's read this prayer. And let's see how our uh, hearts get set on worship. So why don't you go ahead and read with me. I'm going to begin in verse 2 of chapter 11. And he, referring to Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And as I said before, this is a model prayer. Jesus gives his disciples a pattern for this prayer. And most of us have been taught or we, we've tried to memorize some pattern or some form to help us in our prayer life. Maybe we learn the Acts method. And maybe you guys have seen this. Uh, should be up there. This is, we start with this prayer. We start with adoration. We start with, conf- or we go to confession and thanksgiving and supplication. So this is just an easy way for us to remember how to pray. Maybe you know the finger prayer, and we take our thumb, and our thumb stands for praise and thanksgiving, and then intercession, petition. I find it interesting that our pinky, our smallest one, is confession. We know that this was man-made. Um, that's probably where we need to spend the most time. But we know that there's several prayer formats. These are just a few of the simple two. And all of these are good, and all of these are helpful, and all of these help give some framework or some shape to our prayer. But what we're going to look at today is that all of these are based off the Lord's Prayer that the Lord gave us. So let's just go right now to the original source and let's look to see what Jesus has to teach us about how to pray. Jesus gives us five things that we should be seeking in prayer. When we pray, prayer has purpose and we should expect to be changed every time we go before the Lord in prayer. We should be seeking something. We should be seeking life change in prayer. And in this passage we see that Jesus says, okay, here's five things that you need to be seeking in prayer. And the first thing we see that in prayer, disciples seek to know God more. And when we look at this passage, Jesus begins his prayer by focusing on the person of God. There is no better way to start a prayer than by directing your heart to God. By starting off, Father, hallowed be your name. And this means that the very first thing we do when we go to prayer is we set God's name apart as holy. We set his part as different than us. We respect his name. We honor his name. We praise his name. We adore his name. And that is how we start our prayer. Now you're asking, what's the big, deal about, like the, the big deal about his name? And back in this time, the names were not just some name that sounded key, cute in Hebrew. These were actually names that described who God's, God was. They're names that describe his character and who he is. And if you're a, a father, you are the same person, but you have many names that describe who you are. Right? If you have the sarcastic dad, that means like you're the father of boys. Right? If you have the 
daddy, that means you're the father of girls. Right? I know this. If you have, hey, knucklehead, you're the father of teenagers. And I have experienced these. You know, babe or honey, maybe you have this loving wife that responds to you. If you have ugly boy, that means your in-laws are in the house and they're trying to talk to you. If you hear the name baby boy, that just means you're the youngest in your family. Right? I, I, I've done, I've, I'll be celebrating 20 years of marriage in a couple weeks. I have been around the world doing ministry and in the military. I have three kids. And when my mom comes to my house, she still refers to me as her baby boy. Hey, baby boy, can you get me something to drink? Hey, baby boy, can you get in the picture right here? I am still my mom's baby boy. And when we talk about knowing God and we talk about the names of God, we are talking about really knowing the different aspects of God and what it means to know and to love God. I love what the psalmist just wrote in Psalms 9, verse 10. And he says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And if you just go through Scripture, you see so many names for God. You see uh, Eldea, the God of knowledge, that God is all-knowing, that he knows everything. He knows every single thing that has happened. He knows every single thing that will happen. I mean, think about it. God's knowledge is infinite. And I am just stand amazed at the sheer amount of knowledge that he knows. I can hardly, well, I can't. I'm not even going to lie to you. I can't even remember my three kids' names sometimes. I call them all different names. I get it all mixed up. But God knows the name of every creature, even to the deepest depths of the oceans. Think about that. We, you as an individual, you're one of 7.9 billion people alive today. You are one of about 107 billion people to ever walk the earth. Yet God knows you. Yet God knows each hair on your head. He knows every single word that you have spoken. He knows every single thought that you have ever had. And our first thought, we start to go, oh, that ain't good. Maybe just me. But we start thinking and like, ah, but this is a good thing. This is God, the God of the universe, the God of all creation. He knows you. Right? He knows what you need. He knows what's best for you. And his desire is that you would know him. That you would know and that you would love him. He is the God of knowledge. Another one of his names is Yahweh Rapha, which means the God who heals you. Pray, praise God because we all need healing. We all need it spiritually, we all need it mentally, we all need it physically, we all need it emotionally, and our God is the God of healing. El Shaddai, God Almighty, which means He's got all the power we ever need. When we are tired, when we're weak, when we're sick, when we're unable, it's okay, because He's got all the power that we will need. He is our sustainer. We hear Yahweh Yireh, our provider, Yahweh Shalom, our peace, Yahweh Sadiqanu. This means I am your righteousness. Think about it. When we go, we go to Scripture, we don't have to earn our way to heaven. It's Jesus. It's God who is our righteousness. Scripture tells us, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is our righteousness. It's not dependent on us. Praise God. These are just his names. 
And we're only touching the surface of this. As we go through Scripture, we'll see that there's over a hundred names in the Hebrew and Greek that describe who God is, that describe God's character. And it's easy to see why when David sang, he said, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. We could go months and never repeat the name of God. There are so many reasons that we could be celebrating and worshiping who God is. And this is every day. It's not just on Sunday. It's not just on Monday. It's every day of the week we can bless his name and praise him forever and ever. And that's how we start our prayers. We start our prayers with reflecting on the character and the promises of who God is. We seek to know him more and more and more. Hallowed be his name. Church, this, this week I want to challenge you as you go to uh, uh, God in prayer. So often, and, I, and I'm just guilty, I'm not calling anybody out, we start it the same way every time, right? We might say Heavenly Father, we might say God, we might say Lord. We've got our little pet way of starting off our prayer. This week I want to challenge you to start off with a new name of prayer. A new name for God. Maybe one that you just haven't thought of before. Maybe one you haven't dwelled on. I want you to study the names of God. And we're going to help you guys. We're going to put some things on our social media. We'll put it on Instagram or Facebook. And we'll put a list of God's names. And each week we'll just put a different name. Maybe one of those names that I just start. And just start before you go to God. And start to know him more. Start to worship him. And know his name so you know him more. So that's the first thing. Is we're here to seek to know God more. The second thing is that in the disciples' prayer, we seek alignment with God's will. That's what we mean when we say your kingdom come. This is where God's kingdoms come, that God's will be done. We are to align ourselves with God's purposes and God's plans. And you're like, well, what does that mean? This is what it means. It means we want God's will more than we want our own will. Right? We want God's plan for our lives more than we want our plan for our lives. We continually pray for God's will in our lives. We continually pray for God's will in our community. We continually pray for God's will in our church. We continually pray for God's will in our nation. We all got ideas on what should be done, but that doesn't matter. We should be seeking God's will for the entire world. We pray for His kingdom to come, for His will to be done. Well, how do I do that? This is pretty simple. It might just say like this. God, I want your agenda done, not mine. This, that's all you say. And you have a sincere heart when you say that. You don't just say it because I said to. You sincere heart. God, I want your will to be done, not mine. Too often we forget the purpose of prayer. Too often we begin to get it mixed up. So I'm going to make this really clear for you. Here's the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven, but to get God's will done on earth. Right? Not to get God, our will done in heaven, but get God's will done on earth. Sometimes if we're not careful, we go to God and we start telling him, this is what needs to be done, God. I know it needs to be done. This is what you need to do. It's much like when my children come to me telling me what is best for them. Dad, you want me to finish my game before I do my chores. No, I don't. God, you want me to, to stay up late so I can finish this important conversation with my friends. No. No, I don't. Right? Just last night, Selah almost got me. She was at her friend's house, and she texted me and my wife, and she says, I'm going to stay at my friend's house so you guys can have a date night and go to bed early. And I thought, hmm. You know, she almost got me, and we, we almost forgot. She tried a Jedi mind trick on us. Right? It almost worked. She almost got us. But that's not what prayer is about. 
Prayer is time that we seek our Father's will. We don't try to manipulate him. We don't try to trick him. We just go before God with an open heart and say, God, what is your will? And then the next thing we need to say is, God, give me the courage to follow it, right? That we seek God's will, right? Prayer is asking God to use us to accomplish what he wants, right? Use us to glorify his name, glorify or or use us to extend and strengthen his kingdom. God, we would just pray that your will be done. So when we pray to God, we should seek alignment of ourselves to God's purposes in our lives and in our communities. In prayer, we seek God's heart. What is your heart? So that's two. So in prayer, disciples seek to know God. In prayer, disciples seek to know God's heart. The next one that we see is that in prayer, disciples seek dependence on God daily. Give us each day our daily bread. And what here, bread represents everything that you need. Not necessarily everything you want, but everything that you need. It's the stuff that fulfills you. It's the stuff that sustains you. Jesus is talking about anything you need in your life comes from him. And in this prayer, we are to seek that. But I want you to take note at this. It says, give us. Give us each. Not me, not I. Give us each. This is a community context is what he's praying this is his church this is his bride we're not only praying for ourselves but we're praying for our brothers and sisters in christ we are one body no matter how the the world tries to divide us by race or social status or political affiliation or professions or even denominations we are christians and as one we are in christ we are one in jesus first and foremost and above everything else as christians we are united in jesus But also notice that Jesus did not say, give us this day our monthly bread. Nor did he say, give us this day our weekly bread. No, he said, give us this day our daily bread. God, give me what I need for today. God really isn't interested in giving you what you need for next year because you wouldn't trust in him this year. I remember a long time ago when Melissa and I were living in Virginia and we made some decisions and we thought God was calling me into the ministry and we had all these plans And none of them worked out right. And I remember saying, I just wish God would tell me what his plan was. If God would just tell me what his plan was, I would do it. And we started looking at our lives and and our our marriage was stronger, our family was stronger. We We were doing all of these great things for the Lord. Our ministry was stronger. And I remember Melissa looked me in the face and she said, if God would have told you that you'd be right here, would you have gotten out of the military? Nope. That's why he's not telling you. Right? Because so many times we think we know what we need. Right? But God gives us our daily bread, what we need for that time. Right? When we trust on Him for our daily bread, that's how we grow our faith. If He gave us what we needed for the next seven years, we wouldn't have to depend on Him. And when God fed the children of Israel as they were coming up out of Egypt and they were going into the promised land, He gave them manna that was rotten the next day. Right? It lasted one day, and then it rotted. They couldn't store it up. It was literally daily bread, so they had to depend on God daily. And church, if I'm being honest again, I am very guilty of wanting a cushion. I just want space. I just want a little comfort zone for my needs. 
And I say, oh, if I had that, then I would be happier, then I would have more joy, then there would be more peace in my life, I would be a better husband and a better father. I just need a little bit of breathing room, God. And it's sad. I don't know why I pray that all the time because the truth is, and I have proven this to myself more often than I'd like to admit, but when I do have that cushion or I do have that security in my life, I just want more. I just need a little bit more space, right? I become really, really worried about losing that space, so now I need an extra space. I need a little bit more on top of that. I'm very concerned I'm going to lose whatever I was able to put in there and secure, and so now i got more things to worry about, and all of these things I am more concerned with than I am with seeking God. All those things I become more preoccupied with than seeking the heart of God. When we want breathing room, God knows that he is our breath of life. When we are begging for all these other things, God knows that the only thing that we need in life is him. That he is our breath of air. If you look at Job, and you guys remember everything that Job went through. At the end of the book, Job says this. He settled on this. He learned this truth. And I would rather learn it from Job than to go through what Job did, so I would have to learn it myself. So a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. Job said this, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. That is what we need. God, Jesus, is our breath of life. He is what we need more than anything else in this world. When we seek our dependence in Him, we will find an abundance of joy and unmeasurable peace and infinite love and endless grace. And that is only found in Jesus. So we need to seek that dependence. We need to be reminded of our dependence on Jesus for everything. So in prayer, we earnestly seek full dependence on Him. So, so far as we start unpacking this prayer, we see that Jesus tells us in our prayer that we should seek to know God more, that we should seek to align ourselves and our hearts with God's will and His heart, that we should seek dependence on God. And then Jesus goes on and says, in prayer, disciples seek God's grace. Listen to this. Disciples seek God's grace and forgive us our sins. And we go before God and say, God, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our trespasses. But I want you to notice something again, that the use of the first person plural, us, Too often we pray, we think of us, but this request is not mostly for us as individuals, but for us as a community, for us as the bride of Christ, for who we are as a church in this community of believers, that godly fellowship begins with a right fellowship with God. And that as individuals and as a a church, we should go before God and confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. And we talk about forgiveness of our sins refers not to the initial salvation, but to the continually confessing our sins that are needed to maintain that right relationship with God. When we experience this cleansing from our sins, it's vital in maintaining a close relationship with God. And we know that. We know that we have to ask God for forgiveness to make that relationship right, to keep that relationship right. We go before God and we confess our sins, but have you thought about doing that with your brother and sister? There's always verses already coming to your mind before you offer up, go to your brother and sister, right? We see this in Scripture, that we are to forgive our brothers and sisters, forgive those in our church. We are to forgive one another. Forgiveness is one of the sins by 
God's grace, right? It is a, uh, it's only by God's grace that we can be forgiven. I want you to think about this for a minute. King David was described as a man after God's own heart. Think about the things that, that David did. David committed adultery. He murdered his friend. He had his friend murdered, and who was not just his friend. He was one of the leading uh, generals in the, the Israel, uh, Israeli army. Right? He disobeyed God, and he took a census. Sometimes we forget about that one. God said, don't do it. He did it. And he had to punish for it. Right? We start to get this idea, yet God showed him grace. Yet God said he was a man after his own heart. God forgave him and restored him. What about you? When you start looking at your own life, where have you failed and where do you need God's grace in your life? We have all sinned. This is not a secret. We've all sinned and guess what? Spoiler alert, you're gonna keep sinning. Right? You will keep sinning this side of heaven. And many of the times we go to the law in the Old Testament and we think of all the things that we're doing right and we try to convince ourselves yeah, I screwed up a lot or I got this dark sin, but that's okay because I got these good things that I'm doing. Whatever, whatever you think those good things are, you're like, oh, that's okay. I've done more right than wrong. Scripture also teaches us that we can't save ourselves, that there's nothing we can do, that we're not good enough. No matter how good we think we are, our sins prevent us from being good, right? Even if we do a lot of good stuff, the, the moment we sin, guess what? We ain't good enough anymore. Right, like if I spit in this coffee, I'll be like, hey, there's more coffee than spit, drink up. You wouldn't drink that. That would be gross. You're like, no, that coffee's ruined. When we pray and we seek God's grace, we are asking to see his glory and to see his power. Right, we're trusting that everything that we have done, everything, even the things we don't think he should or could forgive us for, we are trusting that God can. And you know what? God has and he will. There is nothing that is greater than God's grace in our lives, nothing that we have ever done. And this is a, this is a great question. Why would he do that? Why would God give us this grace? Why would God rain his grace on us, unlimited grace on us? It's simple. It's for his glory. Simply for God's glory. In Isaiah, God boldly declares that I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God says, for my own sake, I show this grace. For my own sake, I do this for you. He showers showers us with grace, and he puts his glory on full display before all of creation. All of his creation. All of those things that you think are too bad, that are too bad for God that God can never forgive you. He says, oh yeah, I did it. I did it all. My grace is shown and you are forgiven. And those of us that have received such forgiveness are so moved with gratitude towards God that we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. That's what happens when we taste the grace of God, right? When we have experienced the grace of God and we're walking in right relationship with God, we manifest his love and his mercy and his grace to others, And when we are doing this as the church, when we are doing this as the bride, the glory of God fills the earth. When God's glory shows in our lives and we manifest it to the world, God's glory goes to the ends of the earth. And when I'm talking about this, we know all about what God has forgiven for us. 
There are things in your life that you have never shared with anybody else, but you know that God has forgiven you. And I'm not talking about the small things that you maybe shared with your small group or maybe the bigger things that you shared with your Bible club and you sit there and you you talk about your Bible book club. I'm talking about the things that draw you to your knees, maybe even to your face in prayer. When you just go before God and say, God, I'm a sinner. Right? The things that we hope would stay in just the darkest corner of our hearts. The things that we question, can God forgive this? Yes, he can and he does. And when he forgives those things in our lives, we can't help but manifest that grace and that love of God to those around us, to the others in our community and others that we have relationship with. When we are in right fellowship with God and we have tasted his grace, we are able to show others his grace. Right, It overflows in our lives and others just see the grace of God in our lives towards them. There's a passage in Proverbs that says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Some translations, they translate that Hebrew word of offense to, um, to say forgive an offense. Right? Not cover, but to forgive an offense. That forgiving faults is necessary for any relationship. We already know that. And as we grow to be like Christ, as we strive to be like Jesus, we model his ability to forgive. When we seek God's grace, will we extend that grace to others in our lives? Having been forgiven by Christ, and this is just a, a prayer for myself and a prayer for this church, is that as we have been forgiven by Christ, that we would be forgiving towards people around us, that we would be forgiving towards those that are seeking forgiveness to Christ, that we would show his glory and we would show his power in our own lives, that we would extend to them the grace that he has given us. And so when we pray, we would ask God not only for his grace in our lives, but that we would manifest that grace to others around us. And finally, the fifth petition, the fifth request in this prayer, in Jesus' model prayer, is that prayer disciples seek, in prayer disciples seek God's protection. He ends this with, and lead us not into temptation. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there is a great spiritual war that is raging all around us all the times, and Christians are in the middle of it. And we cannot lose sight of this fact or we cannot lose sight of our need for protection as this battle rages. But here's the, the good thing. God's already won. Right? God's protection is already assured because he has already defeated sin. He's already defeated evil. And while we are struggling with sin, God is already victorious. God is already won. And when we are tempted, we know that we can find victory in Jesus, that we can find victory and peace in his protection. God has given us a promise in 1 Corinthians that says, no temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want you to think about that promise for a minute, that God will provide you a way of escape, that you'll be able to endure it. That no temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. That is what Jesus said. That is what God, that is truth. But too often, Satan tries to convince us that the sin that we're dealing with is worse than anything else out there. 
that the sin that we're dealing with, there's no escape out of this. There's nothing you can do. You and you alone, Satan has put his full weight and army behind this one sin that you are struggling, struggling with, and we just think there is no way out of it. That's a lie. Scripture tells us that you have the exact same temptations that everybody else has. I love it in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. The thing that you're struggling with, so does everybody else. Right? You're thinking, oh, I'm the only person struggling with pornography. It's a billion dollar like, industry. You're not the only one. Right? Oh, I'm struggling with alcohol. No. <laughs> no, there's millions of people that have struggled with this. You have the same temptation that everybody else has had for thousands of years. And when we look at temptations, we know that Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted in the same way. So before you think that you're all high and mighty, remember Jesus was tempted. Right? So you're not more powerful, you're not more holy than him. But here's the good news, is that Jesus provided a solution to our sins. And we need to understand this before we go on, that being tempted is not a sin. We know that Jesus was tempted. It tells us in Scripture that Jesus was tempted. But it is a sin to give in to the temptations. It is a sin to live in temptation. Martin Luther said this, he said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Right? You can't keep the birds from flying overhead. That's sin that's going to be tempting you. But you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. You don't have to live in sin. Jesus was tempted. It molded his life and his ministry when we look at his life. His ministry began with this epic temptation in the wilderness. When we look through scripture, we're like, wow, that's pretty bad. Well, fast forward three and a half years. Jesus is in the garden and he's being tempted like, hey God, there's got to be another way to do this. Like, if there's another way, I'm all game for that. I don't want to do this. Right? He was tempted not to do that. But he conquered that temptation. And the writer of Hebrews bears testimony to this molding effect of all of these temptations and these sufferings in our Lord's life. In Hebrews it says this, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things existed, we're talking about God and Jesus, and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Temptation conquered. And we're suffering, we're facing temptations. Temptation conquered through Christ. Knits this, the, the fibers of our souls into this beautiful quilt that displays the victory of Jesus. When we look at our lives, when we start listing these temptations and temptations and temptations that Jesus conquered for us, and we start to see a beautiful picture of God's power and God's sovereignty. In Scripture, it urges us to take the long view, that we don't get caught up in that single temptation, but we take the long view, we look at it. It tells us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We know that through temptations and through trials, our faith is grown. That's how God grows us sometimes. That's how God reveals who he is and his power to us. We know that through Christ, we can conquer any temptation. But we also know that the devil doesn't fight fair. Right? And we have to think about it. He knows when we're tired. He knows when we're weak. He knows the weak spots in our heart. And guess what? He goes after them. He, he throws out these temptations, and we're not ready for them. Right? We, we, we might be all prayed up about something we're not even thinking about because it's easy for us to pray like, oh, I, you know, I just won the lottery, so I'm not worried about money or something like that. And then he hits us with something else. Right? God or devil just plays that way. So in prayer, we just ask God 
to deliver us from those overpowering temptations. God, don't, we don't want to face those temptations. I don't need to prove to you how tough I am or how great I am. I just don't want to face those temptations. Those temptations that are going to make me fold. Those temptations that are going to hurt me. Those temptations that are going to assault me. Those temptations that I'm not strong enough to stand up to. Protect me from them. God, I don't, I don't, I don't want to deal with that. I don't have anything to prove. Just keep me away from those temptations. Because we know that we can't control every single idea that is put into our mind. There is some stuff that we've come across from 20 years ago. We don't know what happened, but we find ourselves dwelling on these things that we shouldn't be thinking about. And we really have no idea how it got into our head. We don't know where it came from. I do. I'll tell you, it came from the evil one himself. It came from Satan. It came from the devil. There's this war, and Satan takes those things that hurt us, takes those temptations, and throws them right back in our brain housing group. Says, here, I want you to think about this for a little while. Here, I know this causes you pain. I know this causes you guilt. I know this causes you shame. Just sit right here and just dwell on this for a little while. And church, that's why it is so important that we have to watch what we put into our minds. It's so, so important. My fathers, you have to guard the hearts of your children. Right? They, they think that they know best, but the truth is they don't. And, and there's oftentimes I talk to my kids and I say, I'm doing this because I love you. I know I'm not as nice as the other parents. I know that everybody else gets to do this, whatever it is. But guess what? As a parent, I need to guard your heart, and you're not going to. You are not going to do this. And fathers, we just have to take that role. We have to protect our children and guard their hearts. But when we do, when we do face sin, God says, I'll give you a way out. And all we have to do is look to the cross. Jesus said, I gave you a way out. It's on the cross. And through his blood, we are not only redeemed, but we are protected. It is through his blood that the victory has already been won. And when we are struggling with that temptation, when we're struggling with, I don't know if I can do this or not, you can. Because we look to the cross and Jesus already has done it. So in these prayers, we seek protection from the attacks of the evil and we seek his protection not to lead us into temptation. We say, Lord, there's some things in my life that I know that I'm tempted by. Lord, there's things in my life that I know I'm going to lose if I face this temptation. Lord, there are things in my life I know I can't handle. And so when we go, we seek his protection and we say, Lord, just lead us not into temptation. Just protect me from that for now. That's it. Right, when we look at this prayer and people say well that's it just these five things just seek God yes well how are there hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books of hundreds of hundreds of pages telling you how to pray I don't know Jesus did it in like four sentences I think it's three and a half because there's a comma in there Jesus did it in sentences he didn't give us a 50-step plan for prayer he just said when you pray seek God when you pray elevate God seek God seek him and seek his heart and seek his grace and seek his protection just seek God align yourselves with God as you pray and it is this prayer that gives us framework it gives us direction right it starts and ends with worship as we seek the Lord through prayer as I said at the very beginning when we pray we should expect that our lives are changed we should expect to be changed as we seek the glory of God and we experience his sovereignty through our prayers. 
when we know God, we can't, we can't help but be changed by the power of God. So church, this day we're going to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to ask that you pray with me as we close, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read the disciples' prayer. But I'm going to stop after each sentence. And that's going to be a little bit weird for some of you because so many times we've just seen how fast we can say this prayer and be done with it. We're not going to do that. We're going to take this line by line, and I'm just going to say a line, and I just want you to pray to God with your heart. I want you to open up your heart. I want you to be thinking of the things that God has uh, stirred in your heart, and I want you to be seeking God as we pray. This is not a race. This is not a Bible drill. This is not how fast can we pray the disciples' prayer. This is simply a time that we are going to seek God together as a church. So I'm going to ask the band to come up as we close, and I'm just going to start praying. And I will just say a phrase. I know this is weird. I'm just going to say a phrase, and then you seek God. And then I'll seek the next one, and then you seek God. Father, hallowed be your name. El Shaddai, the God that is all-sufficient. As we go through life and we're struggling, maybe we're not sure where we're going to pay that rent. Maybe we're not sure where the next meal is coming from. But we know that our Lord will provide. Just got prayer requests this week. There are so many people that are in the hospital. And some, we don't know if they're going to come out. But we know that our God is the great healer. And they will be healed. If not this side of heaven, on that side of heaven. Because our God is the healer. Our God is the mighty one. That our God is the savior. Right? No matter what sins that we have, we know our God is a savior who saves. We know that we can just come before the king. We can come before the righteous one. And Lord, we know that no matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is happening to us, when there's so much, we don't even know what to say, we can just begin our prayer with Father. Just Father. Lord, your, your kingdom come. And we pray for your mission. We pray for kingdom expansion, that we would reach unbelievers with the gospel of Jesus, that we would be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Whatever that might look like in our lives, whether it's reaching neighbors next door or getting on a plane and reaching somebody across the world, we just pray that we would be aligned with your will, that our heart would be set on your will, that our heart would be set on your desires, and that we would have the, the courage to follow as you lead. We pray for church maturity that and kingdom growth and, and that our ministry to make more mature disciples. And Lord, we pray to you that we proclaim you warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom come. Lord, we pray today that you would give us each day our daily bread. As a church, that you would give us the finances that we need for today. You'd give us the patience that we need for today, the peace that we would need, the hope that we would need. Lord, you know what we need. And as we cry out to you as individuals for what we need, we know we can depend on you.
and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Church, as you're praying, God has put somebody on your heart. Do you need to forgive your spouse? Promise to God that you will do it right now. Have you been unwilling to forgive your parents? Promise God right now that you will forgive them and just forgive them. Have you forgiven your employer who wronged you? Maybe you need to do that right now. Do you have a grudge against the church? Is there something in your heart that is separating you from the bride of Christ, its leaders or your other brothers and sisters in the faith? You need to forgive as he has forgiven you. As we cry out that this is not our church, it is your bride, and your glory is shown in the beauty of your bride. And we'll look at this, one of the prayers of Jesus later, that he prayed for the unity of his church. Is there somebody you need to go to in forgiveness and ask for forgiveness? And Lord, lead us not into temptation. That we would trust your sovereignty. That we would see the strength and the sorrow. The beauty in your tears that you are working when we are waiting. Lord, that you would sanctify us in the temptations that we face. Lord, we would just seek you, that you would change us to be more like you. Church, we are going to continue to pray, but I would just ask that you would continue in prayer as we sing this song together as a church family.